Get road trip ready with a service checkup at your local Chevy dealer. They can save you time and money and get the job done right the first time, worry-free. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for current service specials or to schedule a test drive. Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I have been friends for a very long time at WGN. Yeah, we started here in the 90s. I produced Bob Collins and Roy Leonard. And I produced Spike and Cochran. So we spent our 20s as wing women for each other. And it didn't work out very well. But then it did. And we found the right guys and we stood up in each other's weddings. And then we had babies within weeks of each other. And we went from producers to reproducers. We make it look which brings us to this podcast we want to talk about topics that intrigue us and you and provide some knowledge to other average parents we're average we're not experts so we'll tackle these topics with people who know what they're doing yeah we get the experts and i fully expect to embarrass myself along the way yeah i'm pretty sure we already have so welcome to apparently we make it look easy we make it look Okay, so apparently kids can have anxiety before they know what anxiety is. Uh, Jackie Robbins is a teacher, writer, and mother. She's the author of the picture books The New Girl and Me and Two of a Kind. She has a master's degree in child development and early childhood education um, and has been working in education and special education for 25 years. Jackie, welcome to the show. Thank you. I should say, I don't know if I'm an expert, but... (laughs) Yeah, I know. In her bio, she said, by the way, none of this means that I'm an expert. She has two of her own kids, and she deals with a lot of the same stuff we do. Okay, we put out a call on social media to have questions, and people sent a bunch of questions. So we thought we'd start out with questions that we think are related to anxiety and um, have you answer them. Does that sound good? Sounds good. Okay, so this one came in. My kid gets in trouble every day at school for misbehaving at circle time. Um, What? Why is that? What's, What's going on there? Okay, so this is a question that um, I have a lot of more questions about. I would say I don't, and when I'm given a situation, I don't always have answers for it. I just have the next question to ask. Um, So I guess I would wonder what the child was doing that was getting her in trouble Mm -hmm. at circle time. And then I would try to figure out what was going on inside her. What did she need or what did she need less of that was causing her to have this problem? So, um, for example... Is she overwhelmed by being in the big crowd? Is she bored? Is she calling out her answers? Is she goofing off? Can she not sit still? Is this because she is bored and can't sit still? Is it because she has some core muscle weakness and it's literally hard for her to sit that long? Um, so there's a lot of questions here to ask. What are the expectations that she is not meeting? That would be the question I would ask the teacher. What is it you're hoping she will do that she's not doing? Don't tell me everything she's doing bad. Tell me what you're hoping she will do. And then I ask myself, are these, are these reasonable expectations? And are they reasonable expectations for this particular child? So some kids have an easy time sitting for long periods of time spacing out when they're bored. Other children do not. So different expectations may not be reasonable for that child. So I really feel like this is a question where you have to talk to the teacher and find out what is happening. And then you also, no matter how young the child is, talk to the child. Because there may be something always that you haven't even thought of. So it might be that this child is alphabetically next to a kid who 
hums under his breath during the entire meeting and the noise of it is driving her crazy. And you won't know that unless you ask. If she's three, she might even still be able to say, I hate Joey. (laughs) Or, you know, or my feet hurt. My feet, some kids will say my legs hurt. Oh, well, you know, that maybe it's really hard for her to sit like that. Jackie, that brings up a point when my oldest was little, she, uh, her, her knees turned in a little bit and she could not sit crisscross applesauce without pain. Yeah. And we thought she was just misbehaving, but it was because it hurt her to sit that way. Mm. So exactly. Good, good I point. always say behavior is communication. So I don't like to think about bad behavior. I try to think as a special educator, especially how is this behavior communicating something to me? What is this child trying subconsciously or consciously to communicate? So if, I, if this child is getting up and walking away from the carpet, what is it that's overwhelming or frustrating or, or sensory issues? You know, is there a huge whiteboard screen being used at circle time even for young kids with a loud soundtrack and a lot of squirmy children around them, that might just be a lot of sensory information for some kids and they might just need a break. So they get up and walk away and they get in trouble for leaving the circle because they're too young to say, hey, you know, I'm being overwhelmed, (laughs) I need a break. Um, So you really need to find out what's going on and what is the expectation this child is not able to do and why. So that's probably causing anxiety for the parent and the child to be disciplined or called out in front of her peers or his peers. Can you imagine if you thought it worked? I always try to say it to grownups. Can you imagine if at work it was possible that you would be in the middle of trying your best to hold it together at work and your boss was going to come in in front of everyone and be like, you there, you're doing this poorly, go sit in the corner for 10 minutes. It's it's mortifying. Um, Or can you imagine if every time you had to face a challenge, you were going to have to face it in front of everybody else. So there's a chance where you're sitting in circle time that she's going to say, okay, what letter is this? And you might not know. The mere anxiety of it can make you squirmy. It can make you in pain. It can give you a headache. It can make you sleepy. Um, Anxiety can manifest in a lot of different ways. And and I would say that so-called misbehavior, the first thing to check is, you know, what is... What's going on inside? What are you worried about? Jackie, that was Uh, what I was going to ask is um, kids aren't always able to say what's on their mind or communicate uh, like an adult does. So how does anxiety manifest itself in a a little kid? If it's starting earlier or happening earlier for children, what, how, how can a parent identify that? So I always think that it's important to remember where anxiety can come from. So when anxiety comes basically from like a lack of control of the situation, mm-hmm. it can come from a real fear, you know, I'm afraid of strangers, I'm afraid of dogs. It can come from a fear of messing up. I'm afraid, I know myself, I have messed up this situation in the past and now I'm going back into it and last time I got in big trouble and I might get in big trouble again. But a lot of it just comes from not, not knowing what's going to happen or not knowing what you yourself are going to do in the situation. Um, when you feel like you don't have control, you can panic. You can decide not to do anything. You sort of go selectively mute and just sit there and stare. Shut you down. can try to escape. Yeah. But also, I think it's important to remember that the, you, know, you have a fight or flight mechanism. And so for some kids, when they get anxious, they go straight to fight mechanism. Mm. They go straight to lashing out or speaking disrespectfully to people. They go straight to, you know, sometimes they can go to meanness. And it's a defense mechanism that's coming from the anxiety, but it's read as aggressive aggression or, or disrespect. So, you know, think about when you start to become very worried about something and your voice gets higher and it gets louder and you just would like everybody around you. I do this with my children, unfortunately. <laughs> just want everyone around you to do what you say. And the best way that you feel in the moment to do that is to sort of raise your voice and say, everyone has to do this. Right. Well, when children do that, they get called out for being mean or disrespectful. 
Um, but it's coming from a place of anxiety. It's not coming from a place of strength. It's not coming from a place of, of wanting to hurt anyone. It's coming from terror. And I think those are the, those, that's the times that anxiety gets missed. Because it, it comes across as like a bully or the mean kid, yeah. but it really, it, it could be a kid who, who's in need. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's easy to deal with children whose anxiety comes in the form of sort of, oh, I'm so scared, please comfort me. Uh, which is, you know, hard for that kid too, but it's a lot easier for adults to be sympathetic to. It's a lot easier to know what to do um, than when, if someone is anxious, they are prickly. Mm-hmm. Because we, as as human beings, tend to respond in a certain way when people are prickly at us. So it's really hard to remember that that is probably coming also from a place of deep anxiety. So when you see acting out and stuff, sometimes it's not just it, it's just uh, it could actually be related to an anxiety. I think absolutely. So let me give an example. If we are um, all at circle time and this child is um, calling out answers all the time in a goofing off way, making silly jokes, make, you know, answering, you know, not appropriate for the classroom answers to make everybody giggle, sort of clowning around. Uh-huh. Okay, why might we be clowning around? One idea, people might say, well, she just wants attention. She just wants attention. That's possible. Maybe she's bored and she needs the stimulation of attention. Hmm. Or maybe she has learned that if she calls out those silly answers, and this is, again, probably not consciously, but if she calls out those silly answers, she's never going to get called on to get a real answer, and therefore she's ah. escaped the pressure of having me wrong. First of all, that's a smart kid. Yeah, well, but, it, but think about it. If I get myself sent from the rug the first two times I do something and I hate being on the rug, then the third time I'm going to think, hmm, how am I going to get myself sent from the rug so I never have to answer that? Wow. So it could be coming from a place of fear being called on. And so then how, how do you... How do you stop that? As a teacher, mm-hmm. do you do you take the kid aside and say, "Listen, I know what's going on here," or or do you say, do you take the kid aside, not in front of everybody, you know, and and say, "Tell me what's going on in your head." I think that second one is really important because if I say to a child, "I know what's going on with you," and I'm wrong, yeah. then I've broken my relationship with them in a small way. Right. That makes but if sense. I say to them, "Hey, hey, look on the carpet, I see that you are having a really hard time." waiting until you're called on or staying on the carpet or whatever it is. Um, you know, can you tell me what's going on? There's a fabulous um, behavioralist named Dr. Ross Green who really describes a great strategy for sort of doing this kind of problem solving even with very young children. And um, I really recommend his work. Um, but one of the things he talks about is you just have to say, hey, I've noticed this. You tell me what's going on. Well, and, and then, then you're, you're giving them, them some respect. Right? You can't say, no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> you know, you're giving them respect, and also you have to listen to their answers. They might say something ridiculous. They might say, yeah, my own child at one point told me that she was having a hard time because she was putting her hair in her ear. And with her hair in her ear, she could not hear what the teacher said. <laughs> and that was why she was getting in trouble. I, I can't at that point say, that is ludicrous. That's not what's going on. <laughs> Or she will, or she'll shut down totally. So instead, I just said, "Hmm, is there, you know, what else is going on?" Okay, hair, I hear you saying that you, you've got your hair in your ear. Is there something else going on too? And you sort of have to sit with the answers you know can't possibly be it, or you think can possibly be it, until you get to one that that you know, knowing your kid is probably closer to what's really going on. What about kids that aren't acting out with their anxiety? That I, I know in my experience, my kids don't really communicate or outwardly share overly share with me and so sometimes it's hard to spot or to know to ask the right questions that aren't yes no how was school today fine 
What did you do at recess? Play. You know, so you're just getting one-word answers. How how would you... And the more that you ask, the more they shut down. Yeah, it's like the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, really? What happened in math? What happened in French? What happened in science? <laughs> they tell me um, to stop asking I... questions. That's what happens in my house. Stop! Exactly. Mom, I was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, well, first, I think that is just something that all kids do. Some of it is because school is theirs, right? And as they get older, they need space that you're not entirely micromanaging for them all the time. Not that you're a micromanager personally, but they oh, want wait. Oh, I, wait. I, I am. <laughs> she is. <laughs> I am too. So I, I, I can own it, Jackie. <laughs> well, I, Hashtag I too. guilty. Um, and my kids come by their anxiety very naturally. Um, I think that they, but I, mean, I do think school is a space that is theirs. And sometimes when they are refusing to answer questions about school, it's because in the past, when they tell us things, we leap to, I'm going to fix this problem, I'm going to tell them what they should have done differently, I'm going to explain to them what really happened and how they really felt about it. So they, you say, you know, they say, oh, school was fine, I had a hard time in gym because Joey was cheating. And we say, well, what did you do? <laughs> or we say, okay, so what was he doing? And they explain how he was cheating. And then we explain how actually that's probably within the rules of the game. And we have addressed something completely different from what they were trying to express, which is I had a hard time in gym class. It sounds like we're supposed to be really good listeners. Well, yeah. It's so much easier to say. <laughs> oh, than to do, right? <laughs> I'm posed. That's, that's hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much easier to say. And it's always, you know, like, you should sit in front of your children, which means you should sit and sort of ignore this growing gigantic tidal wave of anxiety that fills up in the back of your brain whenever they talk about something they're doing that's hard for them. <laughs> oh my gosh, why is this hard for them? What is she doing? I think I try to tell myself, because I work with kids, I try to tell myself, just try to pretend it's someone else's kid. Right. If I'm talking to my children, I try to pretend. If I'm with someone else's child and they say, Shauna was mean to me, I'm like, oh, that mean old Shauna, what'd she do? And then they tell me what Shauna did, and I go, oh, wow, that must have really hurt your feelings. Tell me more. And I'm, I'm able to be completely more objective about it and more supportive than if it's my child. And I say, what did, what did you do that made Shauna do that? Or how did you react? Did you overreact after that? What did the teacher say? And I sort of want to ask all these questions to make sure my own kid is doing the right thing or being in the right place. Well, is that because we, we want our kids to be their best or we want our exactly. kids to not affect the world in a negative way? We want our kids to be their best. We want our kids to be liked. We want our kids to succeed. We want to, we want to teach our kids. We want we have this feeling like if you just talk enough before they're 18, you could teach them everything you've learned in life, and then they'd be okay and never have to experience pain. That's it, because we're trying to protect them from the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're trying to protect them from failing. We're trying to protect them from you know blowing up friendships. We're trying to protect them from... from pain yeah um and so we we sort of have all this baggage our own anxiety that we put onto them and it keeps us from listening to them and being as supportive as we are with our nieces and nephews hmm. or with other people's children if my sister told me her kid was getting in trouble from misbehaving on the rug i would say well maybe the rug is overwhelming for her what's she being expected to do on the rug that's too hard for her and it would be without any kind of baggage and of course, that's what I should think first, even for my own kid. In my experience in my household, um, usually what happens is that it will reach critical mass, usually around bedtime. Like yeah. <laughs> at bedtime, when I want them to go to bed and just 
stop mm-hmm. talking and just go to sleep is when these little nuggets come up and then I hear about it and it's either waterworks or um, like they want a solution or to, to talk it out right then and that's not that's not <laughs> when I want to do it but then you got to just kind of roll with it and, and uh, address the issues that they're concerned about or worried about for the next day um, then so it doesn't the timing isn't always but so I, I have a question about that Jackie um, I feel like that's a stall tactic I did. I, sometimes it is, but I, no, not all the time. Okay, so because it depends. Yes, it, sometimes it is, right? Like sometimes. Sure. Uh, sometimes my son will say, "Oh, Mama, I have a question," and I say, "What?" And I can literally feel him searching around for something to ask me, <laughs> 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 so that I will stay there a little bit more. Um, and sometimes it's just that's when their guard is let down a little bit. And that's when they've had some time to decompress. And maybe that's how long it took them to be able, especially if they're young, to be able to articulate what it was that's been buzzing in them this whole time. You know, I didn't really mention another way that anxiety can sometimes manifest is just squirminess. You know, the, the connection between sort of ADHD-like symptoms and anxiety is really huge because think about it. When you are nervous, what happens? Your heart rate goes up, you start to sweat more, and you, you get the jitters, literally. And so sometimes for some kids, you know, to even process what it is that's making them anxious, they have to wait until a time when they've regulated enough to calm the physiological symptoms to be able to even discuss what it was that was bothering them. That's what I think happens in my house. Yeah. yeah. When they're sitting quietly in, in their beds in the dark trying to, you know, process the day, that's when that stuff comes up because they yep. actually give themselves the time to think about it. Usually after school, there's so many things that you're running around doing, soccer yep. practice and all that stuff. There's really no time to think about it. And so that's why, at least in my particular situation, those things happen around nine o'clock at night. <laughs> well, and a lot of times that's when they have your undivided attention. That's true. And that's true for in my house, too. I'm not judging that. I'm not, you know, saying about the but in my house, often when I go in and it's time to do bedtime, that's when I have nothing else with me. I have nothing else I need to be doing. It's all about them, and I'm just there for them. And bedtime is often the only time of the day that can happen if you're busy people, which everyone is. And we've all, you know, heard the lesson that we should, you know, put our phones down, get off our computers, you know, have uh, eye contact at dinner and actually have dinner together. Um, but it, it doesn't always happen. Of course, it can't always happen. Right. So I think the bedtime question also that's interesting is, is it, can you figure out a way to physiologically calm prior to bedtime? So, you know, can there be some time before bedtime where there aren't screens and where, you know, something else is happening that's sort of more physiologically calming? You're doing a puzzle together. You're doing something like that. Maybe then you'd be able to talk about the things before it was 930 night and wanted to kill them for not just going to sleep. Exactly. And you're exhausted, right? You can't respond well when you're yeah. exhausted. Either. I'm not my best at the end of the day. <laughs> no. No, I, I'm going to be totally honest with you and literally tell you that I kicked my teenage daughter out of my room last night with the words, it's mama's bedtime now. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's I'm not, truth. you know, perfect here either. There's another question here that came up, and uh, I think it might be related. Of course, I don't know anything. So um, should you let your kid quit music lessons even though he continues to improve? Could that be related to anxiety? Of course it can. I think that, yeah, and I think it's related to both kinds of anxiety, parental and child anxiety, right? Because should you let your kid, I'm assuming from that wording that the child is asking to quit. I think so. Or is is screaming and complaining every time they have to get in the car to go to music lessons or is refusing to practice or, you know, is is doing something along those lines. And that that not quitting is something the parents feel important about, feel is important. Um, I think... 
that's the conversation first of all has to happen right after music. So the next time the child goes to music, right after that, talk to them. Because often there's a transition issue, right? And anxiety, when my, my son once said, anxiety is only bad until the thing happens and then it goes away. Hmm. And it's true. Like anxiety is what happens before the thing that you're expecting that is bad happens. And then often once you get in the situation, it's not nearly as bad as you thought it was going to be or the thing you were panicking about doesn't happen and then you're fine. And you're just sort of worn out. Um, so transitioning to music could be the hard part, in which case you have to talk about music after that. It can't be a conversation you know, while you're trying to get them to get their shoes on or while you're insisting they practice the clarinet. I think you have to talk to the kid and find out why. Because, again, it could be something obvious. It could be they really feel dumb at music. They don't feel like they're good at it. Maybe they don't have the fine motor skills to be doing what they're expected to be doing. I know they're improving, but does that are they improving as quickly as they think they should be improving, as quickly as their teacher thinks they should be improving? You know, do they just feel awful the whole time they're at music? Is music something that is is super important in your family? You know, everybody gets together on the weekends and plays together, and they feel like they're the worst one because their older siblings are concert pianists? <laughs> or are they a teenager, and music is really important in your family, and they're not going to be that person like you are, and so they're not going to play the piano? Um, you know, what is it? And again, it could be something totally unexpected. It could be, you know... Every time I go to music, the mus- I'm at the music teacher's house, and her dog is really aggressive, and it scares me. Mm-hmm. And you won't know that. You can't guess what it is. So you got to ask, and you got to ask again. <laughs> you got to ask in a way that makes them feel like you're listening. So when you ask, whatever they say, all you get to say is, "Oh, let me see if I get this right." You hate going there because Mrs. So and So's dog barks the whole time. Okay, is there anything else? And you don't get to say, well, that's stupid. Have her put the dog away. <laughs> it's not a problem. She's never going to get you. The dog's not that scary. It's a little chihuahua. You know, which is, of course, sometimes your first impulse. And figure out what it is. Maybe, maybe, maybe they take the bus every day to music and some kids on the bus make fun of them. Right. Yeah. You know, you don't, it could have nothing to do with the clarinet. Or it has everything to do with the clarinet. Maybe they just really are not getting anything out of playing clarinet and they spend the whole time hating themselves. And then you have to ask yourself, how important is this to me? Is this, am I going to put my foot down on this? Yeah, that's the question. Like, you you want to give them something. I, or I do. I, I want them to have uh, some musical experience. And I mm-hmm. and I think that it's too easy to quit. But that might be that I'm, I'm old school, like, you know, that I'm just digging in. I think some of it depends on why you're quitting, right? Like if you're quitting because you don't want to do the hard work of practicing, then I, that's one of the ways that music is actually valuable, right? Because you have to practice to get better and you have to stick with it to see results. And then you feel great when you master it. And that's a, a great lesson to learn. But I also think that if what you're trying to teach your child is that music is a fabulous addition to your life and something that is going to feel great for you. And instead, what you're teaching them is music is something my mother makes me do and I hate every second of it. Yeah. You're shooting yourself in the foot. And there might be another way to get them to have appreciation or get them to have that experience that is something that suits them more. My, um, my own self, I um, took classical piano for like 10 years and quit when I was 15, and I begged to quit, and my mother said to me, okay, but don't come to me in three years and say, why did you, why did you let me quit? Well, okay, so Jackie, how do you feel about having quit at age 15? I'm fine with it now. I'm fine, because I think I got, I wasn't going to be a pianist, and I got a lot out of it, and I, but it wasn't, it wasn't relaxing to me in the way other things that I picked up instead were relaxing, and so what was music's purpose going to be in my life? Um, I can I can listen to music. I can listen to other people make music, and that's that's more um, fulfilling to me. So the I, I guess 
the idea the fact that your kid's not going off to their college application saying, oh, I took classical violin for 15 years and I did such and such and such and such. Or I, you know, I followed in my dad's footsteps and now I'm at conservatory or whatever it is. But is is the strategy, though, to find out what does bring the child joy and so then introduce that? I think, okay, so you don't, you hate clarinet and you hate, you literally hate playing clarinet. You hate being at class even just now, right when music class is over, when you would expect that you would have just gotten the most joy you're going to get out of it, right? You still hate it. Um, I really want you to have music in your life. And I feel like, like music is really important to our family and to me. And so I'm wondering if you have ideas for what kind of music experience you could have that, you know, would, would help that happen. That, that a little kid isn't going to, I don't know. <laughs> drums. But, They're going to say drums. <laughs> in the garage. Which my son plays. <laughs> but you know what? That is so much more relaxing to him than if he were trying to sit and learn the recorder. So... Not for me. I just have noise canceling headphones. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. There you go. There's the solution. I think the music. I think the music lesson question also speaks to parent anxiety, though, because we, every parent starts out with this idea of what your kids are going to grow up to be, and exactly. what kind of parent you're going to be, and what it's going to be like. And I feel like music lessons are a pretty classic example of something that you have to decide if you're going to let it go or not. And if you don't let it go. It, maybe that is just something that your family really, really, really values. Maybe your child is never going to be able to fit in at family gatherings unless they can sing or play guitar or something like that, and that's okay. Um, that's, you know, a family value. But I also think you have to ask yourself, like, am I doing this because I want my kid to be a kid who speaks three languages and is successful in certain ways that include music and include this and include this? And if that's not the actual child that you have, then you're making it worse by sort of trying to fit them into this mold you have. We all have to just let go of things. Yeah, that's what so we had to do. Yeah, we had yeah, to do that in our family too. My my kids took piano lessons, and it was a it was anxiety in our family to practice every day, yeah. and it became such a big deal in the family that I we my husband and I just decided, you know what, it's not worth it to have these arguments every single day about practicing yeah. and stuff. And so we wanted it more than them, and so we had to just understand that that wasn't our kids are just not interested in piano, and that's it. And that's okay, and you can force them. You can make them do it, right? I could have, but, but we chose not to. What is the energy expenditure that yeah. for both of you that you're using up, and how could you better be spending that energy somewhere else? <laughs> yeah, and Jackie, you, you and I have talked before that part of it is recognizing who the children are. You know, we think that we think that we're giving birth to either mini me or mini husband or whatever, and mm-hmm. and so we expect them to be something. But what we probably need to do is learn from them what they really are or who they really are. And that's so hard to do. And I think, you know, to bring it back to childhood anxiety, so much childhood anxiety comes from expectations that are, that are difficult or impossible to meet yep, missed for that specific child. And so if I'm having the expectation that my child is going to do things that he just can't do or that are really hard for him, even if he just, he can do it, I know he can do it, if he just tried harder or if he was just motivated more or if he just stopped worrying about it so much. All of that is just piling on to what's going on in this poor little kid's head Um, or this poor big kid's head. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot right now, I have a 15-year-old, every single person we know will say, oh, she's going to be a junior. Are you looking at universities? What kind of universities are you looking at? 
probably she will go to university, but you know what? She might not. And that, just the mere asking of the question puts anxiety on her. Sure. Because yeah. here is expectation of something you have to do to be normal or to be successful. And if it's not, if it's someone for whom that's not an easy answer, then that puts anxiety right on her. And even if it is an easy answer, it puts anxiety on her. Do you remember when the kids were little and we thought like that was the hardest time and now they're getting older and I'm yeah. realizing, no, it's not getting easier. No. No. <laughs> Different problems. <laughs> It doesn't get easier, I don't think. No. <laughs> I don't on, on, on that happy note, Jackie, <laughs> um, we're going we're gonna to wrap up, but thank you so much. And I think we might have you back on the show sometime because I think oh, I you... I would love to. This is one of my favorite topics to yammer about. So thank you for having me. Well, thank you. Thank so you. again, it's Jackie Robbins. Um, she is uh, a font of information and uh, we'll talk to you again uh, soon, okay? Okay, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, the problems don't get any easier, do they? No, and I, you know, didn't you think like diapers were the worst? But yeah, <laughs> that was yeah. easy. Yeah, sleeping through the night, all yeah. that stuff. Potty training, schmotty training. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got that. I have friends that are talking about college and what where their kids are going. And you know, granted, our oldest are the same age, and not we're not quite in high school yet. But I just wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll we'll just have to tackle that in another uh, episode, right? Sounds good. Okay. Well, so thanks for joining us for apparently. I'm Ann Johnsos. I'm Tracy Miner. I'm Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> we make it look easy. We make it look good.